Hi there, listener. We, the editorial team of a manufacturer, have the great privilege of bringing you interviews from some of the best manufacturers, leaders, industry analysts, young pioneers, innovators, and solution providers. But sadly, we can't possibly fit all of them into our podcast episodes. Fear not, though, because you're listening to Archives, a platform where you can hear these fascinating and thought-provoking interviews in full. This is another interview taken from the show floor of Smart Factory Expo in 2022. Samit Ladsum Geeka, partner at Kearney London, was a keynote speaker at Manufacturing Leaders Summit that same year. Here he is talking about the value chain trilemma of financial, resilience and sustainability performance with the manufacturer editor Joe Bush. Hi, welcome to the Manufacturer Studio here at Smart Factory Expo. Uh, I'm Joe Bush, I'm, I head up the editorial team at the Manufacturer and I'm here with Sumit Laksongika. That's correct. Thank you. At, uh, fr- from Kearney, uh, we're here to talk about the value chain trilemma. Um, Sumit, you, uh, you kindly wrote an article for, for a recent issue of the, of the magazine and your keynote at MLS is going to be around the same, same topic. So to everybody out there, can you explain what the value chain trilemma is? Sure. So very happy to be here and talking to you. Uh, The value chain trilemma is essentially a balancing act at the end of the day. It's a balancing act across three dimensions, financial performance, resilience, and sustainability performance. And especially with all the crises that have happened over the past three years, right? Say COVID, the supply shortages, the labor shortages, talent shortages, the, 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 the pressure that we have on ESG and improvement. This has become even more relevant because every COO or operations leader or manufacturing leader is grappling with these uh, three dimensions and how do you make decisions both short term and long term. So what the value chain trilemma tries to do is capture that, uh, those sorts of uh, trade-offs that people need to do and see what is potentially a way forward. Okay, so up until now, traditionally, how have manufacturers uh, managed those trade-offs? How, you know, how have they been sort of weighing up the, the three as it were? Sure, so what we actually did was uh, to investigate exactly this question. We looked at a selection of 355 companies, totaling almost 11 trillion in market capitalization in 2021 across five industry sectors to just see how people are doing, right? Uh, Where is it that there is progress? Where is it that progress still needs to happen? And what comes through is, is, is very clear. It seems to be a very difficult journey for companies to go through, but there is clearly progress that is being made. And when I sort of elaborate that, uh, what's happened is most companies have taken a fairly reactive approach to this. And that's sort of understandable because you've had all these crises and therefore you just respond to you know, the next supply shortage that comes through mm. or the next labor shortage that comes through. Whereas very few companies have taken a proactive approach where you look at all of these dimensions uh, and look at them end to end and then initiate uh, you know, programs to, to tackle those. Mm. Okay. so. Traditionally, why have industrial value chains been so difficult to manage and perhaps importantly, how have they been exacerbated by the the recent challenges that the sector's faced? Sure, so when you look at industrial value chains and you sort of specifically focus on the industrial OEMs, these tend to be makers of of capital equipment, right? So the manufacturers of transformers, motors, you know, switch gear, your, your kit in your factory. So this is classically what is treated as capex by a lot of uh, manufacturers and they sit and they are driven a lot by economic cycles. 
So what happens is they tend to have long lead times, right? They tend to have a mix of value chains. So they tend to have a combination of make to stock, make to order, engineer to order, configure to order. It's a whole range of supply chains within an organization that has to be managed with long lead times and a combination of product and project-based businesses. So managing that complexity is, is what makes this particularly difficult for industrial value chains. Other industries also have their own set of challenges, so pharma, consumer goods, and so on and so forth, and the concept is very applicable for them. But for industrial OEMs, which is where also the, the article focuses on, because of this sort of complexity, uh, it becomes even more of a challenge. Sure, sure. So, um, you know, manufacturers may, going back to the, the, the three elements of the value chain, you know, manufacturers may be focusing on, on one or perhaps two of those elements, but how do they drive performance simultaneously across the three? Uh, if there's one thing you take away is the need for an end-to-end -end approach, right? To, to be able to drive this simultaneous performance. And what do I mean by end-to-end -end approach? End-to-end -end is not just looking at manufacturing as in production or site improvement, or looking at uh, sales force effectiveness, or looking at uh, R&D and product uh, development improvement, right? Uh, or looking at SNOP improvement. It's about looking at all of these together, right? And the reason for that is a lot of value ends up sitting at the interface of functions, right? Classic example is we worked with an industrial OEM wherein we were, we were able to sort of reduce the complexity in their product portfolio, uh, move them to a platform-based concept which the automotive industry has. Now that, of course, drives a reduction in product complexity, but it also unlocks significant savings in the supply chain because you are now going to market with fewer components, fewer parts, right? Your uh, product development cycle increases uh, and you're able to bring products to market faster. So it's essentially one function, R&D, driving value across other functions mm -hmm. in the organization. And therefore this sort of end-to-end -end approach is really important. And um, if you want to, if you need to resolve this sort of, uh, this, this trilemma, having that end-to-end -end approach is key. Uh, and absolutely, we talk to a lot of manufacturers and, and, and often they, they explain their headaches and, and a lot of them are around those siloed elements of their, yeah. of their business. So, you know, how important is that end-to-end -end approach in, in terms of rectifying that? The end-to-end -end approach is really critical. Um, so I talked about an example where product development could sort of unlock value in the, in the value chain. Another example, right, from an industrials player, uh, which sort of just shows how, how the trilemma can be resolved, is we worked uh, in the early 2000s uh, with, a, with a large uh, electrical equipment OEM. And each of the different functions, so order-bound engineering, manufacturing, uh, uh, operational purchasing, had their own individual lead time buffers, right? So if you want to make a big transformer, for example, you have the engineering folks taking two weeks to do something, but then having a one week buffer just in case something went wrong. Manufacturing saying that we will do this in eight weeks, but then having a two week buffer just in case something went wrong. When you put all of this together and look at it as an organization, you say you don't need all of those individual buffers. What really matters is whether we are able to deliver a good product on time, right? And that end-to-end -end approach linking up these different functions, taking out those individual uh, functional buffers is, is what really drove value. And in that context, it of course drove better financial performance because you sort of are able to sell a lot more to the market, get more uh, out of your factory, but then also drove agility because you were offering shorter lead times uh, to your customers 
and you could respond to changes in design or changes in the requirements mm -hmm. from the customer. So it's sort of financial and resilience at the same time, right? Just by challenging individual functional uh, uh, silos, as you mentioned. Indeed, indeed. And in your article, you you alluded to a number of um, of levers that can be used to, to to help manufacturers with with the the value chain value chain trilemma. And although there's no there's no one silver bullet solution, can you perhaps explain? some of those levers and, and sure. how they add value for manufacturers? Sure, so um, we talk about uh, 14 different levers across three parts of the end-to-end -end value chain. So if you look at the first bit, which is the front end, which is essentially how do you face up to customers, right? Uh, there is a, a key lever in terms of having a segmented customer offer and an aligned supply model. What do I mean by that? You don't offer your entire portfolio at the same lead time, for example, right? You offer certain high runners at much shorter lead times. What that then means is you are able to uh, do an assemble to order or a make to stock type of value chain for that. Whereas uh, some of the more uh, uh, the more bespoke products that a certain customer might require will require engineering in the first place, right? So it's a different lead time versus what I mentioned in the beginning. And it's a different value chain because it's an engineer to order value chain where you're going to have engineering do some work, then you're going to order materials which are bespoke to a particular customer order, and then you're going to, of course, manufacture it. Uh, and it might take longer because the cycle times mm. are varying, right? So having that sort of segmented customer offer and aligning it to the supply model is one key lever on the front end. Uh, across the manufacturing and supply chain, if you look at the supply base, right, uh, I think a big thing that a lot of companies need to think about is not just looking at their external spend, but looking at also things like the scope three emissions, right, of their of their uh, external supply base. And at Carney, we do something called as a carbon cube these days, which is not just looking at uh, supply base and their spend, but also looking at what their scope three emissions could be, and then making a holistic decision on supplier choices, right? So. One example from the second bit, which is manufacturing and supply chain. And finally, enablers. So things like uh, product platforming uh, and defining product platforms, right? Uh, and not building each product uh, bespoke. But at the same time, not just designing it that way, but also including what we call as a life cycle impact assessment, right? So if you are, if you are for example, going to build a furnace, then the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the outer shell for it, where does the cast uh, steel come from, right? Is it coming in from Asia and therefore what is the emissions impact of that versus what's the trade-off if you buy green steel from Sweden, for example, right? So making that sort of holistic decision, uh, looking at both emissions as well as spend together and, uh, and putting the facts on the table is, is what uh, you can do to resolve the trilemma. Yeah, sure, sure. And and you've alluded to some uh, earlier, but uh, uh, can you cite any sort of case examples uh, of the work that that Kearney's done with some manufacturers to sort of you know some some real real life real world examples? Sure. So three case examples are there. I'll quickly uh, touch upon all three. Uh, one was with a specialty chemicals company, uh, especially looking at the environmental performance and financial performance at the same time. Uh, what we instituted there was a metric or a composite metric called as eco-efficiency, which was essentially a composite of energy, emissions, and waste performance. And every manufacturing side improvement we did for the client looked at eco-efficiency and financial performance together. And any business case that was built was a holistic business case, as opposed to just saying we could re reduce a little bit of cost here and there, right? 
Uh, what that then resulted is over an eight-year period, almost a 30% reduction in specific energy consumption and, and emissions, and a 40% improvement in, in EBIT. Right. So that sort of uh, that sort of uh, culture of of looking at things holistically drives a big impact. And then there are similar examples in industrial OEMs as well as in the automotive tier two uh, mm -hmm. value space. Uh, value chains uh, that we worked on where we sort of look at two or all three dimensions uh, mm. simultaneously. Sure, sure. And we're, we're always very timely here at uh, Smart Factory Expo. Last year it was coincided with COP26. This time tomorrow we'll be on the verge of another, of another uh, uh, budget. What, what, what sort of do you, what do you think might be coming down the, down the pipe for, for UK manufacturers? What, what are your expectations from tomorrow's announcement? So I think the, uh, the, the, the key thing to, uh, to plan for is, is Uncertainty is, is a given, I think, over the next year or so, uh, maybe even a couple of years. I think there, is, uh, there, is, uh, there are inflation headwinds which are there right now. We will probably see a, a drop in demand, uh, in customer demand, but order books for a lot of manufacturers are still full. So how do you sort of manage inflation and full order books, but then clearly an indication of falling demand uh, mm. coming through? Mm. and. Uh, governmental intervention might or might not help every sector you know to, to the right level so I think there is uncertainty on the horizon however having this sort of holistic view thinking both short and long term uh, is is critical I think to, yeah. to sort of yeah. uh, facing up to it yeah yeah fantastic and, and just finally to me um, uh, obviously we're only a couple of hours into smart factory Expo so what are you looking to get out of, out of the event what do you what is there anything particularly that you're looking forward to yeah, so I think uh, from the expo, I, I always come here uh, every year. Um, I think a combination of both the established vendors as well as some of the, 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 the startups, I think that combination is really nice for me. Uh, opens my mind up uh, in terms of what's, what's going on uh, in, in the world of digital manufacturing and also the wider manufacturing um, uh, technology space. But then I'm also looking forward to connecting with a lot of uh, industry peers and friends. So I think uh, it's, it's just a fantastic event to, uh, to be here. Fantastic. Sumit, thank you for your time and enjoy the show. We hope you enjoyed that, listener. Keep an ear out for more episodes like this one and, of course, for more episodes of the Manufacturer Podcast. Whatever streaming site you're listening on, be it Spotify or Apple Music, be sure to give this podcast a follow and a rating. And if you're watching this on YouTube, why not subscribe to our channel for the latest video content?